Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, a quick thank you to the Final Word sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing. Thanks for supporting our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Hit them up on Instagram, Brick Lane Brewing. Have you seen their 2021 release, Trilogy of Fear? Oh, it looks intense. I don't even know what it is, but I know this. It's a limited release, so head to BrickLaneBrewing.com to check it out. I like to think Trilogy of Fear is the exact opposite of Brick Lane's One Love Pale Ale. The yin and yang of beverages, thanks to Brick Lane. Sort of like Adam and Jeff, the yin and yang of cricket writers, broadcasters, and podcasters. I don't know if that makes sense, but you get the idea. Brick Lane Brewing and The Final Word, one of the all-time great partnerships. Make sure you join Adam and Jeff on the Final Word Patreon page. If you support the show, you could win a slab of Brick Lane goodness. Adam and Jeff will tell you more about it in the show. And remember, you can find everything Final Word related at FinalWordCricket.com. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the Final Word, and thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the Final Word. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word. Story time. The cricket show where we go back through the past, the history, the distant history, the not-so-distant history, sometimes the present, sometimes the future. I'm Jeff Lemon. The other one's Adam Collins. You might as well hear him now. Here he is. Round of applause. Hello. How are you? Feeling good. I'm feeling feeling primed. This is story time 56, the big 5-6. <laughs> it's a milestone in some cultures, I'm sure. It's an Olympic year in Melbourne, the first Olympics held in the Southern Hemisphere. I suppose there's that question, if you had a time machine, you can go anywhere mm-hmm. with it, where would you go? Yeah. Um, I think we might have discussed this on the show once before and, and identified the centenary test match at Melbourne for us as our kind of peak revisit. But yeah, given we're talking Olympics, I'd be somewhere at the 56 games, I reckon, from a Melbourne perspective. I'd, I'd love to have been in the glass house a year after it had opened, watching mm-hmm. the swimming there or perhaps at the track with Betty Cuthbert, something like that. That just sneaks in because at that point you'd be able to pop down the road and see Howard Florey. Uh, my cutoff for the time travel has always been that it has to be after the advent of penicillin uh, <laughs> because because I'm pretty sure I'd die within days if, if I were anywhere where I couldn't access antibiotics. Given remember that, the uh, but- remember the sliders episode when they go back to a parallel universe when they don't have penicillin. And mm. Maximilian Arturo invents penicillin for that particular world that they're in. This will come up in our sliders yeah. recap podcast that we make when we, at some stage, uh, well, I, I was going to say when we stop making the final word, it'll probably run parallel to the final word mm. in keeping with the idea of parallel universes. It'll be cricket yeah. a couple of times a week. It'll be sliders maybe once a fortnight, something like that. Yeah, you, you can just punch the numbers on the magic sliders remote control and be transported <laughs> into a parallel world in which... We're not cricket podcasters. We're sliders podcasters. <laughs> um, if we can get if we can get Jerry O'Connell to be to play in a cricket match with us, that will be the peak crossover of the. You know, if we, if we can put on stage a game with it, like a final word listener game, but get big JOC to come and play. There won't be well, he, anything left to achieve in this world. Or, he's or quite any responsive, others. isn't he? He's quite responsive mm. on social media. Like I've seen him engage with Sliders fans uh, on there before. Okay. There's a couple of Sliders fan Twitter accounts, which I follow, of course, and have uh, engaged with us a little bit, haven't they, when we've talked about it on, on our show and people have tagged them in. Mm. Uh, and Jerry O'Connell's quite good with them. So I, I see no reason why if we, if we started this Sliders podcast, I suspect he'll come on at some stage and mm. then we're away. We can explain to him about our parallel universe and how we'd yeah. love him to slide through to, to the cricket 
world with us through the wormhole and, and join us on the park. It could happen, you know. We've yeah. had people discussing on our Discord page that when the Olympic Games are in Los Angeles in 2028, and in all probability cricket will be there based on uh, what we're hearing from the ICC uh, in, in recent months, that mm-hmm. we should go, that we should go to America and all be there for it. Well, maybe Jerry could be with us there for it as well. And as I, as I said, that would be it. That would be the peak. And then Alexander wept for there were no more worlds left to conquer. <laughs> <laughs> in Also in keeping with the slightest theme, how many worlds there are. The the vaccine game will probably come around too soon for Jerry O'Connell, I, I feel, but we do have lots of people putting their hands up to... Um, you're going to try to get some teams together of people immunised with the different strains of vaccine so we can see which one has made better cricketers. Yeah, so Declan Lawler, who we've been following very closely, he's Pfizer, but he he wishes to Mm -hmm. uh, maybe play, maybe umpire, maybe score, but he he, he will not run. He will be no one's runner after the Thames Track (laughs) uh, fundraiser a couple of weeks ago. We'll come to that in a sec, actually. But yeah, we've had one other offer. Well, no, I wouldn't call, call it so much an offer, but a conversation that started. I'm in negotiations with the Oval Dream Boys, who I've played for this season, mm. it must be said. So it's, it's not as though it's a, it's a fierce negotiation, but we, we are looking at a date, maybe the 17th of September. So it mm. might be less a vaccine game and maybe perhaps a final word game against the Oval Dream Boys. And I like that because ODB, mm-hmm. DOB, Dusty Old Bastard, Oval Dream oh, Boys, yeah. it, it, it all kind of works for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, a number of friends of, of the final word uh, will be playing for them if we can pull it off. So watch this space on that front. But yes, hoping we can end the English summer with a game, including final word listeners somewhere, somehow. And I'm going to insist that you are vaccinated at the very least. <laughs> maybe you, maybe, maybe we won't break it up by vaccination, but you must get mm-hmm. a jab to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No jab, you, you no play. Have- no chab, no play. You can have one at the ground before the, before. If the required, game. if it takes that, it'll we'll do that. <laughs> it'll give you a dead arm. I'll, I'll warn you for for a few days. Uh, Declan Lawler is, of course, the the gentleman who ran the Thames or tried to run the Thames. The Thames conquered him in the end. Declan's lost two toenails. Um, he's let us know since having to call off halfway through a, a run of having already done about a hundred and. 60 odd miles in two days his feet were buggered and he couldn't keep going he he got a a letter from the lord's tabs having sent them all of the fund raised cash uh, and declan said the letter made his mum cry um he's he's was very moved to get this letter thanking him for what he'd done they raised about two and a half thousand pounds to send through to the lord's taverners which is a a pretty special effort for someone to do literally with his blood sweat and tears you know (laughs) a la mo sislak do you know how much my blood sweat and tears are in these drinks (laughs) that was not a figure of speech in declan's case no, no, it wasn't. So, yeah, that was a nice postscript there that the Tabs wrote to him during the week. He sent us a DM uh, with that letter, which was lovely. Uh, and, yeah, puts a nice full stop on that fundraising effort. If he's inspired you, let us know. If you want to do something later in the summer over here, or in Australia for that matter, I know that yep. as different states come out of lockdown, you might feel that the, the want and need to, to yep. do something in the great outdoors. Well, you can raise some money for some uh, kids living with disability or kids in disadvantage uh, through the Lord's Tabs, who, uh, yeah, we're proud to be associated with. But, yes, all at Lord's Tabs org, but uh, yeah, mm. let us know if you want to not necessarily follow in Declan's footsteps literally, but yes, figuratively, and and do something for the tabs. That'd be lovely. It is easy to do literally because they're bloody and probably seared into the footpath. <laughs> It'd be quite easy to follow in Declan's footsteps. You could also not injure yourself and just give them the money. I mean, 
personally, I would rather pay them a couple of thousand pounds if it meant I didn't have to run the length of the Thames. That would that would be a far superior arrangement, <laughs> as far as I can see. So everyone approaches things in in different ways, um, as as we've discovered through the course of this show. Uh, Jeff, uh, we're going to approach a few numbers in a few different ways here. I suspect uh, on a little mm-hmm. game that we call. Nerd Pledge Nerd Pledge It is the game of nerds The game of pledges uh, The game where we get quizzed The reverse quiz The audience asks us questions And we have to try to work them out Uh, They do this by supporting the show Because in order to make the show We need to put lots of time into the show Which means it needs to kind of become a job And so it sort of does Because uh, people on the Patreon page Send us an amount of currency But they send us a really specific amount a cricket amount, an amount where the number relates to cricket and we have to work out what the relationship is. For instance, now this one's an exception because normally someone wouldn't say send you £2 flat, they might send you £2.53. But in this case we have got £2 flat because 200 is the pledge number. Gareth the Surrey Badger, so that tells us a lot, Gareth, in the way you've chosen to... um, portray yourself there that we can we can see that gareth is very nerdy about cricket and particularly about surrey cricket and has sent us two zero zero as a number for some reason having been in correspondence with you adam yes he has so this had to go to you jeff uh because uh because gareth had already basically told me what this was going to be so Mm -hmm. i sort of fed you a couple of clues and and steered you in the right direction uh, about it being you know surrey but but not Surrey, for instance, and knowing that it would take you some time to, to work through it, but safe in the knowledge that it is still a professional cricketer playing uh, at the moment. So yep. uh, Gareth also wants us to do a, a little tailenders crossover at some stage as a podcast. I don't think we'll do that, but the aforementioned vaccine game with the Oval Dream Boys mm. has got a strong uh, tailenders link, shall we say. So one thing at a time, but let's start with Gareth's pledge, Jeff. Well, as it happens, we do have a tailenders crossover because we've got Felix White from that show, on our show, uh, <laughs> next week, I think. He's got a new book out, which is a bloody brilliant read, actually. It's a really beautiful book. Uh, I have have had the pleasure of reading all of it, and we're going to speak to Felix about that. So that's coming up. But right, this clue. Now, so what I had from Adam was this Beyonce-style clue, as in Surrey, I'm not Surrey, then that it's relating to a, a current player. And so I sort of went back and forth with Adam asking leading questions and I was like I'm going to assume this relates to either Rory Burns or Dom Sibley because Rory Burns is the Surrey guy and Dom Sibley used to play for Surrey Mm. and Adam sort of said yeah that's you know that would be fair to assume something like that and then I was like all right Surrey but not Surrey means some kind of age group cricket or second 11 or something like that and he went yep that might not be a bad place to look so uh, actually, I hadn't had the pleasure until this week of using whatever it's called, the, the sort of UK version of my cricket, where you where you can really get into players like club scores and stuff. So I went back to Banstead Cricket Club, where Rory Burns did a fair bit of his early work. No two hundreds for Rory Burns. I figured if we're looking at these two, we're looking at batting scores. As far as I can tell, has only made one double hundred in his whole career at any level of cricket, which was in first class cricket for Surrey for the senior team. Across all of his Banstead stuff, 154 not out was his highest score. Uh, I don't entirely trust this this website though, Adam, because I was looking at his list of um, of scores, and apparently on the sixth of May 1990, 
Rory Burns played an innings for Banstead where he was dismissed for naught. Didn't have any not outs in that season in 1990. May the 6th, 1990. Now, the trouble with this is that Rory Burns was born on August the 26th, 1990. So apparently he played a match for Banstead while still in utero, which is probably reasonable that he didn't make any runs. You know, you, you, if, if you are still a blob, then you probably will score a blob. But elsewhere in, in the numbers, there were no double hundreds. Uh, Dominic Sibley made a few double hundreds. In, in his version of this sort of level of cricket. He played for a team called Ashted or Ashted. I'm not sure which way you would go with that, but let's say Ashted in the Surrey like Premier Cricket. Uh, I'm not sure of the name of the competition, but whatever they're... They're, they're sort of their uh, championship Premier League or something like that. And that's where he played a fair bit of his junior cricket so he made a 220 and a 224 and he really had it in for a particular team called Weybridge so Mm. in 2017 he took two for 48 and then made 127 not out to win a single innings match against them the year before that uh, got out cheaply against Weybridge but turned it on took three for 28 with the ball and bowled them out 22 runs short those were as a young adult but then you go back a number of years to 2011 He made exactly 200 runs from 218 balls opening the batting, took them to 306, and he was 15 years old at the time. And they were very excited about this at Ashted because his father and his grandfather had also played for the club and they were thinking, oh, big things for this kid. Well, what do you know? He became a test player from Ashted CC. And that, I believe, is very badgery, is very surrey, it's very Sibley. Um, you, you, you know how I feel about Dominic Sibley's batting if you listen to this show. <laughs> two zero zero, I believe, was uh, when he had a day out. 200 from 218 balls. Didn't hang around when he was 15. Bring back that Dom Sibley, that's what I say. Yes, it is, and I can confirm for you, uh, because I know this to be true, that you did get that correct. So uh, well yes. done, Jeff, and thank you, Gareth, for starting off the show with a nice nerdy one. Uh, 401 is next up from Evan mm-hmm. Granger. Jeff, we have a clue as well. Yes, at test level, says Evan, a victim of poor timing at first class level, one of the pioneers, 401. Uh, Jeff, I wouldn't normally do this for something that's not a cap number, but nevertheless, uh, cue the music, DC. Jeff, I saw the opportunity this week to roll out Dusty Old Bastard, but in a slightly different way. For Harry Ginger Lee, wasn't the 401st Test Cricketer for England. Mm. However, he's a man with bad timing in many respects, and he was a pioneering all-rounder, a right-handed batsman and a right-arm seamer who also bowled off-spin. So I would say uh, funky-esque ahead of his time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and you, you spoke to me about Ginger Lee not that long ago, didn't you? I did, I did. And, and that kind of helps inform why I think this might be uh, what Evan's steering mm-hmm. us to, because the pledge came in around the same time that, that I was talking about it recently, but in a slightly different way. So, I mean, Ginger Lee's story is a cracker. So he, he's born in Marlebone, you know, within spitting distance of Lords. Um, he grows up the son of a greengrocer, playing the game on the streets of Marlebone with a light post for stumps. I mean, it's a beautiful story. Ends up on the ground staff at Lords in, in 1906 when he's a boy, and then finally makes it sort of onto the staff by 1911. By this stage, he's 21 years of age. You press fast forward to 1914 
a fairly significant year uh, in modern human history. That's just when he's making it. A bit it. happened. A yeah, bit happened. Yeah, a, bit, a bit was going on. A bit was going on, including for Ginger Lee, who makes 139, his first big breakthrough innings for Middlesex, and that's two weeks after the war's been declared. So mm. um, that, that's the sort of end of his season, and, and that's kind of it. In September 1914, he does as many, many professional cricketers did uh, at that stage and enlisted in the army. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, and this is the bit we focused on last time, he was shot and assumed dead and left for three days in, in no man's land in, in France. So he was um, between lines for three days, ended up a prisoner of war, got repatriated to the UK in 1916. I didn't know that happened, Jeff. This was um, something that was... Uh, I, I mm. thought that if you were a POW, that was kind of your lot until the end of the conflict. I didn't know that they did repatriations during a war. I mean, you studied this before when you were doing your Masters. Yeah, it was... The way you're thinking of it was the case in the Second World War. That was much more hostile in that sense, uh, in that the entire continent was occupied and and there were no transfers. And, yeah, once you were in Stalag Luft III, you were pretty much there for the duration or until you tried to break out. But the First World War, because it was so static, uh, at least on the Western Mm. Front, there wasn't really an advantage to keeping prisoners, particularly prisoners who were who had already been injured or something like that. It was more a drain on resources than anything else. So, yeah, if you if you could arrange trades, there was a, a fair bit of that that went on. Right, right. And in this case with Ginger Lee, his leg was stuffed. I mean, they nearly blew his leg off, so they thought that there was no point keeping him. But it wasn't as stuffed as they thought. It was withered and it was smaller. But mm. by 1917, he's back sort of playing sport again. And in 1919, when first-class cricket returns, uh, he's he's back in the team in Middlesex to have his first of 13,000 run seasons. In 1920, he's part of that that famous Middlesex team that win the championship on the final day of the season at Lords against Surrey. He made a century there. He was in that top four that dominated, uh, sort of like few others post-war. I think there were, there were there were two instances where the top four all made centuries, and he was part of that both times. And you know, he, he's a serious cricketer, so he's going through the 20s and making loads and loads of runs. But he's sort of as an ugly player so he doesn't get these England opportunities at all in fact he's completely overlooked through the 20s despite how prolific he is a number of double centuries you know he has a a top score of 243 not out he's a consistent wicket taker as well a genuine all-rounder he could be picked for either discipline but it it takes until he goes to South Africa as a coach in 1930-31 and this was the part of the story uh, we picked up on in great depth last time we we Mm. touched on Ginger Lee where he got his one test match as a 41-year-old, didn't do that well in Johannesburg, made 18 and won in a draw. But he was only picked because there was a, a bout of illness through Percy Chapman's team and they had to call for anyone who was in the area who could play cricket. And they had this guy from Middlesex <laughs> who, of course, could, could play a bit, even if he was perhaps just a little bit past his best. But, yeah, they were all crocs. He came in, didn't quite work out. And as we discussed, he wasn't given an MCC cap and blazer because they, they felt that he acted dishonourably by um, leaving his coaching job in South Africa in order to represent the MCC which is an absolute disgrace. Anyway, so he, 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 he plays his one test match, again, a victim of bad timing per the initial clue given there by Evan as far as his test career is concerned. He keeps on keeping on. Uh, in 1933 against Somerset, he is playing uh, for one team and his two brothers are playing for the other. So it's Harry, Court Frank, Bull Jack, which is the only time in first-class <laughs> cricket um, three brothers have been involved in, in the same dismissal. Uh, he retired in 1934 and took over the youth setup. Didn't take long before he was on the field again, though. He umpired between uh, 1935 and the war. When his career ended, it read, in his, uh, it read that he had taken 390 first-class wickets. But mm-hmm. posthumously, 
This was updated to 401 first-class wickets. I have no idea where they found the other 11, but that's our number. 401 first-class wickets at 30 uh, and, huh. 38, and 38 centuries. Originally, he finished his first-class career, or so he thought, with 20,007 runs. So they let him go past that milestone. Uh, that was later adjusted to 20,158 runs at an average of 30 as well. So 30 with the bat, 30 with the ball, 38 centuries. And he was never far away from the stands there. He used to sit beneath the scorer's box uh, beneath father's home there in the mound stand until very late into his life uh, when he eventually passed away in 1981 he was England's oldest living test cricketer or, or, or he was mm-hmm. until, until he passed away so he was um, a, a controversial figure in many respects uh, he had a a quick tongue on him. He used to cause a, a, a lot of uh, grief for captains and, and all the rest of it because of, of that that sort of uh, that sort of disposition. But he was a fine player, and uh, yes, he, he certainly meets the criteria of being a victim of poor timing and a pioneer as a first class all rounder. Evan Granger, I've got for you Harry Gingerly, dusty old bastard. Ginger Lee. It does sound like someone who would have a quick tongue with that sort of name. Mm. Speaking of oldest players, shout out to Eileen Ash, still going at 109. Um, what a boss. We've got to get her on. We, we have to yeah. get Eileen Ash on the final word at some point. That, that's, uh, that's on me, actually. I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll ask Claire Connor to see whether she can arrange to get Eileen to join us on the show at some stage. Yeah, one, 109 not. You definitely need... A round of applause. You can you can salute with every every single addition to that score. You can raise the bat um, at, at that point. <laughs> so, all right, Harry Ginger Lee, the four hundred one for Evan Granger. Thanks, Evan. Our next one from Michael Edelstein, eight dollars and eighty cents. Very nice, Michael. Thank you. Now, I, when I see some a number like this, obviously, I, I think. Is there, a, is there a bowling analysis that matches up to that? There's not, at least in a, a test innings sense. There is in a test match sense in terms of match figures. Um, and I really liked 8 for 80 as match figures because this is, this is royalty. This is the best of the best. There are only five of them. Sobers, Lily, two Imran Khans, <laughs> and then Sean Pollock. You know, that's... That's a that's a decent five, and I reckon Sean Pollock would be pretty happy to be in there with, with Sobers, Lily, Imran times too. That's a good question. I mean, where, where do they? I mean, if you're if you're doing a depth chart on the four of them, mm. you could make a compelling case, perhaps for all four of them being the most mm. important cricketers, like certainly in their generation for their country. Mm. There's, there's that period where Imran and Andy Zaltzman has this stat where there's like a 30-game period where he averages 13 with the ball or something ridiculous and no, yeah. one's, had a, no one's had a better average, excluding Ferris mm. and Lohman and, and the, the pre-1900 yeah. guys. There's no one from that point on that has a better run in test cricket, full stop. Over so a period that long. Over a period that long, yeah. that's right. So when people think yeah. of Imran Khan as the great all-rounder, they mm. sometimes perhaps forget that he was an absolutely generational fast bowler in addition yeah. to being an incredibly good player as well with the bat. Yeah, and as a captain and in the field. Uh, mm. Well, I suspect you'd find that Ferris and so on wouldn't have actually played that many test matches. They, that, that, they, wouldn't have, yeah. Yeah. they wouldn't have a streak that long. Um, so, yeah, to do that over the course of, say, 30 matches is, is extraordinary. Uh, so the two out of those that I would most draw attention to, there, there's Lily in the first test of the 81 Ashes, the Trent Bridge match, where, you know, obviously England end up winning that Ashes 3-1, the, the Botham series and all the rest of it. But Australia win this really tense match on a 
very wet green seamer in the first test when it's swinging around a lot. Lily gets Gooch, Woolmer, Gower in the first innings and then picks up five for not many in the second, sets Australia up to chase 132, which they get. But an even better one is the Sobers one. This is Headingley 66, in which Sobers comes out with West Indies batting first, bangs out 176, batting at number six, takes the team to 500 and declares, and then puts his bowling boots on and takes five for 41. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you'd just be so demoralised if one player was doing that against you. Makes a follow-on, picks up another three for 39, and that's his match. The West Indies have won three of their last four tours to England at that point, and Sobers has that magic series where he has 300s, 250s, averages over 100, picks up 20 wickets, and wins all five tosses just to rub it in. (laughs) Blimey. That's outstanding. Thanks again, uh, Michael, for that for that pledge of 80. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Next up today, Jeff, is Jai Singh uh, with a pledge of 120. 120. Uh, there is a clue from Jai as well. He says uh, he's obviously tapped into our love for Indian royalty. The clue is a Nawab had a second wind. Happy hunting. Yeah, so, I mean, I started with Tiger Pauri. Uh, I just kind of thought maybe... Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about the Nawab Patari quite a bit, but I thought his mm-hmm. his son, this could have something to do with him. We, we had a, a bit of a... Well, steer also, ha- happy hunting. I mean, tiger hunting. Yeah, sorry, India, yes, the tiger hunting all, thing. All and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and we and, and that was picked up on... Uh, I actually put this onto the Discord channel. We have a Discord channel for Nerd Pledge Numbers, and I thought, I'll just see. I'll, I'll, not that we were... I was trying to group thick the answer necessarily, but if there was a good thread there, I would have told that story. And, yeah, we thought maybe after his title was removed it could be to do with that second coming but that mm-hmm. didn't really sort of line up so instead we went back to Verinda Sawag who was known in his playing career as the Nawab of Najafka now in November 2012 Sawag wasn't going so well he'd made uh, just one half century in the past year across 10 attempts, so the, the worst run he'd ever had in international cricket, in test cricket. And he was starting a, a new series against England at home uh, where he was under genuine pressure for his spot for what, Jeff? I guess the first time in a decade or thereabouts since he burst mm. onto the scene in the early 2000s and then bang. <laughs> By lunch, uh, with uh, Gautam Gambier riding shotgun, he'd taken India to 120 without loss at Ahmedabad. Sawag had 76 from 66 on the first morning of a test match. Uh, I mean, he went on with it at a slightly slower strike rate thereafter to complete his innings on 117 from 117, which is still altogether absurd. While England come back and eventually win that series 2-1, a, a very um, a very influential series in English cricket, mm. and Sawag uh, only really goes on to one more series against Australia. Um, he did uh, have that one special day when he when he got his breath back and and made it to 120 without loss uh, with 79 from 66 on the first morning. I like that um, because yes, he was the Noah. That does involve a second wind. I'm still thinking about that happy hunting bit and whether there's a, a clue there as well. But I think that's a very good first bid. And Jai Singh, the beauty of it is, if uh, if that's not the correct answer, you just send us a message, a DM in on the Patreon page. You let us know, uh, give us another clue to move us uh, closer towards your answer and we'll do it as we revisit, as we'll do in the second bit of this show. Our next number, it's from Steve Stevens. Why have two names when one name will do? <laughs> Steve Stevens, 
$1.88 and Steve has done a number on us with this one. This is- yeah, he, he really has. I mean, there's a clue and there's another clue and there's another clue and we'll have to go through the clue, I think, Jeff, in order to, mm-hmm. to work this out. But let's start it here. This nerd pledge relates to a cricketer that I did a 180 on during their career, but especially when they retired. It does require some simple mathematics, especially as there is quite a bit to this player. Now, why don't I read each clue and mm-hmm. Jeff, you can express what you've done from there and we'll kind of piece this thing together. Does that work for you? Yeah, okay. I, I can let you know how I approached this. All right, you, you read the first couple of bits. Okay, so the part one was um, find their first landmark test score as well as their second landmark test score and add them up. Let's call that result A. Now mm-hmm. find their test bowling average and multiply this by result A. Let's call this result B. So okay. where, where, where have you started with those first two clues? So what I did, because I'll add in the third bit here, which is then you divide result B by the player's position in the test captains of their country, that's result C. And at this stage I was like, okay, I need a spreadsheet. There's only one thing to do here and that is make a spreadsheet. And I thought, all right, Steve Stevens, pledging in dollars, I'm going to guess you're Australian, so I'm going to put a list of all the Australian test captains with their captaincy numbers mm-hmm. in the sheet. Then I'm going to collect their bowling averages and put all of those in the sheet. And then I'm going to have to manually work out which of their two first important, <laughs> first two important scores. <laughs> and then I set up a formula so that it would add the two scores, divide it, uh, multiply it by the bowling average, and then it also had to divide it by the captaincy number and then I think divide that by 100. So I set up some formulas so that I could then auto-populate the sheet by punching in the data once i put the scores in then it would then it would spit out the result for me so that's what i've done for you steve that's what i spent a bit of today (laughs) all right so we've got okay so step us through the maths then i mean from there we're you know as you say dividing result b by the player's position in the test captains next you divide result c by 100 of course we should call that result d so talk us through the the sums and the actual numbers you've gone to yeah, and then then we take the first two decimal points of result D, like the first three numbers, and that's that's the number, that's the 188 that Steve is going for. So algebraically, if I were trying to get to 188 and I knew one other value, then I'd be able to try to work out a third value that way, but I, I only had one value, so there was no way to do that, to sort of reverse engineer that. Mm. But there was also the conjecture about what does landmark mean because to me i i often call a half century a minor milestone uh, that's sort of one of my go-tos in text sometimes and so is a 50 a landmark score because it's still it's still a landmark you still raise the bat or does it have yeah. to be 100 to be a landmark score so is it a player's first century and half century or does it have yeah. to be the first 200s i would so say we- i would say i mean personally i wouldn't call a maiden half century a landmark Mm-hmm. I mean, that wouldn't be a word I'd, I'd go to. I would, I would use landmark for, for three mm-hmm. figures, arbitrary as it may be. <laughs> I yeah. think that, yeah, that, that's what I would personally go with. Yeah. So what it meant is first I populated all the fields with the first two 50-plus scores and then I went through to um, <laughs> Did it again. only hundreds <laughs> because it didn't work for the 50s. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a fair bit of, of labour went into this one. Uh, and here is where I ended up. Shane 
Robert Watson. <laughs> <laughs> so started off with a lot of 50s. That's why I didn't get this initially. This, he went 78, 62, 53, 51, and then had that streak we talked about, I think just last week, when he made 96, then 89, then mm. 93, then got dropped on 97 and managed to get his first 100, then got out for 97 in the innings following. But the 100 that he did make was 120 not out. And a couple of tests later in Mahali, the magic place for Australian cricket, he made 126 there. Yes. Um, and that was his highest score to date. Okay, add those together, that's 246. Multiply that by his bowling average of 33.68, it'll take you to 8,285. Divide that by his test captaincy number of 44, also attained in Mahali four years later in 2013. That gets you to 188.301, etc., etc., etc. Divide that by 100 and take the first two decimals and you get 1.88. The pledge of Steve squared. Oh, Steve, that's very, very good. I've just noticed something in all this, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Shane Robert Watson, SRW, SRW, Stephen Roger War. They've got the same initials. Wow. Never even crossed my mind uh, through following Watto's career. Steve, you're a wonder. That's exceptional work. On one hand, I don't want to encourage other pledges like that because that is gonna, <laughs> that's never going to compute for me. I just don't have the brain for that kind of thing. And I know how long that takes, Jeff. On the other hand, it just happens to be that you are the, uh, the, the number that's been drawn out of the hat uh, this week for the case of beer for the Brick Lane slab, the One Love Pale Ale, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Steve will get a voucher for that. But I don't want, want one to, to come to the conclusion that the more elaborate mm. the pledge, the more likely you are to win the beer. This is purely drawn out mm-hmm. of the new numbers that we have on the show each yeah. weekend. So it, this is correlation, not causation. This is purely drawn from how thirsty I am after solving that clue that- <laughs> <laughs> that it made me think of beer. Um, but yes, it, it will not necessarily be the case that, that if you if you make a sweat, um, we will give you the, the reward. But uh, Steve gets to, get to give someone a reward because he gets to give away a slab. He can give a, away to himself. He can give it away to anybody else. Brick Lane are doing a very good line in pale ales. Let me tell you about this one, Adam. Please do. Did you know it's golden straw in colour? Did that cross your mind? I do, because I'm looking at the can right now. I mean, I said this to you last week. What I would mm. give to tuck into one of these right now, it looks... I mean, I think in the modern... The way that beer is now sold, packaging means a great deal. I mean, whether it should mm. or shouldn't, that's not that's not for me to say, but it does, and this looks great. I also noticed a, a couple of our listeners worked out that Brick Lane are making these limited edition, like, very heavy Belgian-style beers as well that are about yes. and look I saw dangerous. This. So. Yeah, so there's there's a fair bit of stuff in this stable, but this one I've I've had the pale ale. It's 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 very pleasant. It's very sort of easy drinking. Malted and flaked wheat in the brew, we're told. Flavors of grapefruit, passion fruit, and stone fruit. Yum! So many fruits. Yeah, it was very very summery, very refreshing, and uh, yep, twenty four of the best. Uh, shells of that will be making their way to you, Steve Stevens. I went to a brewery in. Hanoi a couple of years ago uh, where we found mm-hmm. the passion fruit beer Rach and I and we were enjoying that the whole way through so that's just inspiring me yet further knowing that there is the yes the passion fruit and the stone fruit and the citrus flavors and, and all the rest of it so yes the Brick Lane Brewing community is one that we're really happy to be part of not least because it's from uh, the southeast suburbs of Melbourne uh, where I hail from uh, I think Jeff the fact that they have uh, not only been a really good local employer but also they're really committed to the technology they're using to ensure that their beer is made in an environmentally friendly way it ticks a lot of boxes for us and it's been great having them on board and 
Uh, I hope you enjoy uh, the slab that's coming your way, Steve Stevens. One more new number to go. It's Jesse G back once again to the well. You cannot keep Jesse G down. $6.49 is the number. No hints from Jesse G. Open canvas for you, Adam. Where did you go with six forty nine? Well, I, first of all, I had a look at some sort of inning scores, uh, and then I realised I was going to junk this off because six four nine is the score from perhaps the worst Test match we've covered, Jeff, which was the Sydney Test of two thousand and eighteen, the final yeah. Ashes Test, where it was hot, it was disgusting, it was illness riddled. I mean, Jeff, you ended up in hospital yourself. Yeah, through the, the through test the was so the bad test. that I went to hospital on day two and still managed to file got out. reports on three <laughs> day, the next four days. I remember um, the one. You, I remember you filed one piece when you were. You were genuinely off your chops. I mean, you were oh, yeah. you were hallucinating. Oh, I, was I went to so I went to drop it. yeah I went to drop something past the apartment you were staying at in Paddington, and I remember thinking to myself like he needs to go to hospital now. And, and you did mm. go to hospital later that night. And then Joe Root joined you there, didn't he? From memory, you're at the same hospital yeah. Root rocked in at uh, before That's day five. Right. Yeah, it was the ER at St Vincent's, and he was he was in there on the morning of day five, and I I'd gone in on the night of day four, I think. Um, yeah, so I wrote I wrote my day four piece from a hospital bed in the emergency room. Commitment to the cause, but yeah, six forty nine for seven was the score that Australia made against England. When you know it, this this is a this is one of the great advertisements for having the World Test Championship points count the end of a series because mm-hmm. this was the the most dead of dead rubbers. Anyway, happier times. The start of the next Ashes series at Birmingham in two thousand and nineteen, which started. On this day two years ago, Jeff, the first of hmm. the first of August, which I just thought, like, let's take this opportunity to reflect on what a lovely week in our lives that was. The first week uh, of the 2019 Ashes gave us a chance to be really excited about what was coming post World Cup, post Women's Ashes. We were there doing work that we loved. Uh, we were there making our first YouTube video, the Holy Ground uh, documentary, <laughs> that we, mockumentary, sorry, uh, that we mm. made with Cam Fink, who joined us the day before the test match. From a personal perspective, it was the week that we got the 12-week scan for Winnie. So after stumps on day one, when Smith makes that incredible 100, I mean, you wrote your piece from the hospital in the fifth Ashes test of 2018. I had to... Uh, I had like an hour and a half on the train back from Birmingham to London at Stumps in order to make sure I got home so I could go to the hospital with Rach in the morning, do the scan, be very excited about that and get back to Edgbaston by about mm. half an hour into the second session. So I had to be back at the ground, so jet is straight back up. And then that night, Rory Burns makes his 100. And then, I mean, from a personal perspective, it was the, the mm. ability to, to show everybody the photo of the, of the scan and tell everybody, um, as you as is the custom after 12 weeks, that you're going to be a mm. dad. So that was a, a really great night. And you get to the fifth day, and that's when Nathan Lyon takes his six for 49. So I wonder whether this is what Jesse might be talking about. It was really important for Lyon to bowl out England, I reckon, on that day. I mean, I mean, the jitters he had early in his career in the fourth innings had since subsided. So, of course, the first mm. 19 times that Lyon had the chance to bowl in the fourth innings after his debut, only 24 wickets came at a strike rate of 78. So he carried his reputation around for the first, I suppose, three and a half years of his test career that he, that he wasn't the man for the job on the fifth day when he, when he had to bowl a team out. That all changed in Adelaide in, in 2014, as we know, when he took seven wickets and sort of held his nerve against Coley and bowled them out late when, when the test 
just looked more or less lost. And from that point forward, everything turned around. So in 19 fourth innings between Adelaide 14 and, and Edgbaston 19, he took 40 wickets at 29 at a strike rate of 52. So far more mm-hmm. in keeping with what you sort of expect from a, from a spinner on, on the final day. Uh, and on that particular day, he gets Jason Roy running down the track. He pulls level with Dennis Lilly's 355 uh, test wickets uh, along the way, which I think from memory was the the fourth most or equal fourth most uh, for Australia in test cricket, maybe equal third most, something like that. Yeah, it's only um, only McGrath and, and Warner ahead McGrath of McGrath and Warner ahead of line, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah, he picked up Denley and Root before lunch to kind of change the game. Um, he got Stokes, he got Mo and Ali. Uh, yeah, and by the time he was done, um, six for 49 was his analysis. He was the match winner on the final day. Australia go 1-0 up in a test match where they were 90 runs behind on the first innings uh, after Steve Smith's twin tons and yeah, it was, it was a wonderful way to start the series, not from a parochial perspective, but just the fact that we had a super competitive test where, you know, you, you were kind of thinking that this is going to be, this could be a classic. And it didn't mm. quite get there, uh, but there were moments when you when you combine what happened at Edgbaston, uh, the Ben Stokes, Joffre Archer show at Lords, and what happened with Steve Smith, you know, the leads come back and Ben Stokes again. Uh, there were some amazing moments in the first few weeks of that series and yeah looking back at it uh, to think it's two years ago I just can't wait till uh, we can start experiencing those kind of moments again uh, with everyone together and not having to worry about COVID and hopefully that'll come I don't know maybe later this year I like it Adam personal professional narrative statistical you've got everything in there and I (laughs) I think it was a classic Uh, I think that there were so many classic moments in that series that even though yes that that fifth test match could have it could have been set up a little better with the scoreline, but I think it was one of the more memorable series mm. that there have been. Right. That's the end of the new numbers. If you want to play Nerd Pledge, it's very easy. You go to patron.com slash the final word. You can set your amount. You can set the frequency with which you want it to go. You have full control over all of that. Uh, It doesn't need to break the bank. You can join up and become part of that little fun community and then jump on the chat pages and so on with everybody else who's in there having a good time talking about extremely nerdy cricket things. And in doing so, you can help us keep making the show. Everyone is a winner. So drop by the Patreon page if you'd like to get involved we'll take the mid-show breather then we're going to look at the numbers we didn't get right from previous weeks and that we've got to look at again and the ones we did get right before we wrap up hi i'm dave warner and you're listening to the final word jeff when i started high school my favorite television show was the panel Mm -hmm. it was made by working dog it was made by the people that had made Frontline, but here they were, not as actors, not as writers, but as themselves. And I would plug in on a, on a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday night, depending on mm-hmm. which, which year and which season was being made, and really luxuriate in that, in that current affairs conversation mm-hmm. with great special guests. Well, I'm not saying that we're, we're doing a reboot of that, but thanks to the Guardian Live program, I am sitting on a panel next week that will mm-hmm. also have five people on it, and I'm quite excited about it. And you can be there too. You are in many ways, and it has been said for some time, the Kate Langbrook of The Guardian. Uh, that, that, is, that is something I've heard before and probably something I'll hear again. And so that's, that's the sort of the role you'll be playing in, in bringing conversational gambits to the fore on this panel. It, it is going to be a very entertaining conversation. So Emma John is on there who... Obviously, if you read The Guardian, you'll know who Emma is, uh, one of the 
foremost writers on the game. Felicity Ward is on there, who is uh, extremely wrong, extremely bad taste at times, um, and extremely funny. Uh, we've, we, we both did a bit of um, podcast recording with Flick Ward in that 2019 summer with the, the Ashes and the World Cup, um, and she was an absolute riot. I've, I've never known anyone to be funnier about their own pregnancy. That was definitely oh, yeah. a, a, a high point where her, her online game through that nine months of like what the hell is happening to my body was extremely good. And then that, and, uh, and it's continued been, too, by the way. I mean, since she's yeah. since she's been a mum. I mean, I I think in some respects, sort of uh, um, talking with Felicity at different points over the last year and a half or two years or whatever it's been. She was initially pregnant when Rach was pregnant at the same time, so mm-hmm. she's probably three months ahead of the in the process. And uh, watching the way in which, as you say, she documented that was absolutely brilliant. Um, she also has uh, had a podcast on cricket with Andy Zaltzman uh, on the ABC. So she loves and knows the game, and yeah, it'll be great fun working with her again. Uh, Taha Hashim is on there, one of the brightest young journalists coming through, and Atif Nawaz, who's also a comedian and doing a lot of good work in broadcasting cricket at the moment. So the five of them, they're all uh, hanging out on this panel. It's really going to be a UK people time slot because I think it'll be early hours of the morning in Australia. So unless you're a night owl like me, you might not be up for it. But if you're in the UK particularly, it'll be 7pm UK time. It's on Monday the 2nd of August. Uh, It's five quid to book yourself in. And you just go to the Guardian's website uh, for the Guardian Live program. That's where they put on a whole series of these panels. So there are other ones as well that will be coming up that you might want to look at. You can go there direct at gu.com slash Guardian Live or just punch Guardian Live into Google. You'll find it. And that is coming up on the 2nd of August with those five. The one thing I might have missed there is that it's an online panel, so you don't need to actually rock up to an event mm. uh, in the UK. It's, it's all there. I've, I've jumped on the platform and done a bit of testing. It's all quite user-friendly. So you'll see all of our friendly faces um, staring back at you. I think Emma's chairing the panel for about 45 minutes and then half an hour of Q&A. We'll be mostly looking at the, it's sort of the, the, the midway point of the summer, isn't it? We'll look back at what's happened um, and we'll look forward to especially the uh, England-India test matches, which will begin later in that week, indeed two days after that panel chat. So I'm looking forward to it. You can join us for five quid uh, gu.com forward slash guardian live it's all in the show notes monday night be there hi i'm brian roddle you're listening to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins this is the final word story time the revisits the ones we didn't get right in previous weeks and now this was crafty from danish babar the number was one dollar thirty i gave a few different options looking at archie jackson uh, looking at warren bardsley sean marsh adam voges all kinds of stuff and and listen carefully to this reply because danish sent this he said i was excited to hear my number come up Really interesting to hear how one number can resonate through history. Especially enjoyed hearing of Callus's 130s. Lamentably, none of your answers were what I had in mind. And not being a fan of verbosity, my clue is as follows. Firsts. Danish. Now, if you take the first letter of each of those sentences, it spells the word Ireland. (laughs) I-R-E-L-A-N. I might have missed out the N. There was an N one in there, but I obviously haven't copied it across if anyone's listening really closely. So that told me that it was something to do with Ireland and uh, I didn't think it was about the fact that Stirlo, uh, Paul Sterling, made 130 against Bangladesh in a losing effort because that's the only time any Irish player has made 130 individually but it is what Ireland as a team made 
in their very first innings in Test cricket. Ah, they got bowled yes. out by Pakistan for 130. And innings that didn't start well, they were four for seven, <laughs> then they were five for 36, then they were eight for 73. Kevin O'Brien made 40, Gary Wilson 33 not out, and that got them up to 130. And after they were forced to follow on, it came together. KOB made the ton, 118. Stuart Thompson made a 50. Ed Joyce made 43 up the top. They cumulatively put a score together, set Pakistan 160, and took five wickets on the way. And for a while there, it almost looked like they were going to pull off the miracle follow-on, win their first ever test match. They uh, gave it a pretty good shift starting from 130. Yeah, it was such an exciting uh, last couple of days of that test when, when Kevin got going and after he dug them out of the hole with, with Gary Wilson, who retired a couple of weeks ago, actually, Gary Wilson from uh, international cricket and Kevin O'Brien's uh, finished up in, in the 50-over stuff but still a, a T20 player. But yeah, when, when Tim Murta took three wickets in a hurry with Pakistan chasing 160, you're thinking, gee, this is going to be one of the great boilovers after Pakistan had that huge first innings lead. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be, but uh, yeah, hopefully it won't be too long before we're, we're all tuned in to, to more Test cricket at Malahide. Our next revisit is from Lara Killick, the $3.28, where, I mean, Adam, I thought you'd absolutely smashed this. Uh, it was a five for, it was the top of the leaderboard, and you came up with uh, Bert Ironmonger's seven for 23, in which he was the oldest player to take a five-wicket haul, his first five-wicket career haul. 3.28 was the average at which he took those seven wickets, if you uh, divide that across seven for 23. Lara says, love what you did with the place love what you've done with it this is this is great you vastly overestimated my mathematical skills um, and your answer is far more cerebral than I could ever have achieved or intended uh, I'm inclined to lie to you and say that you nailed it um, so should you want that to be the truth ignore what follows but if you don't want it to be the truth here are some second and third clues well once we knew there was more to come you had to look into it Adam uh, the clue says, Strictly speaking, this number is an average, but not one that would appear in a stats list. The unique fiver in the original clue refers to the number of male cricketers to have achieved this feat and therefore to be on the leaderboard. Okay, okay. Well, this is an unusual answer <laughs> uh, and one that I'm really glad that, that we've, uh, we've tapped into. Five male cricketers have appeared on Strictly Come Dancing, <laughs> thus the clue... <laughs> Strictly speaking, at the top there from from Lara, mm -hmm. two have won it: Darren Goff and then Mark mm -hmm. Rambrakash. I think Rams is perhaps most well known for the fact that I mean, for example, Rach knows all the cricketers that have been on Strictly far more than she knows them for their mm -hmm. for their cricketing. She knows a lot about Mark Rambrakash's hips and all the rest of it, but wouldn't have a clue mm -hmm. that he made a hundred hundreds. So they are the unique fifer, those five. And in terms of the number three to eight. 32.8 was Mark Rambrakash's average score across the competition, oh, which is the which is the highest of the lot of the five that played along on Strictly at different times. So oh. I'm sure it won't be long before there's a sixth. Maybe the sixth cricketer that's on there should be a woman. In fact, it definitely should be a woman. So who would be the England player who's likely to retire next? Who's got it? Catherine Brunt. Catherine yeah. Brunt on Strictly, bring it on. I'm sure she'd love to do it. Mm-hmm. That would be yeah, something. I mean, you know, she's um, she's a good mover. She's yeah, you know, yeah. She, she's got the got the upper body strength as well. Could do some of the 
some of the lifts and, and throws and whatnot? Quite possibly, quite possibly. And if it's to be a bloke, the last cricketer that was on there was Swanee, wasn't it, back in, I suppose it would have been about 2018, 2019, something like that. It might be a while before there's another sort of high-profile enough English cricketer. I don't sort of see Alistair Cook doing it. It doesn't really strike me mm. as the kind of guy who's going to end up doing variety television. Maybe at a pinch, Joe Root might do it when he's finished up, maybe, possibly. Mm-hmm. But he's got a way to go yeah. yet, so... Maybe they'd get Joss Butler in there if they could, you know. Yeah, yeah. Boyish, Again, blonde, good looks. I guess they're both, they're both 30, aren't they? So they, they might be a few yeah. years away from, from being relevant. But I'm like, oh, maybe Jimmy. Maybe Jimmy. Jimmy Jimmy yeah. works for the BBC, of course, anyway, one on radio. Mm-hmm. So he might be the kind of guy who would, who would go on Strictly. Watch this space. Mm. Is he too grumpy to dance? That's, uh, that's the burning question. But he likes music. I... I, yeah. I uh, had a conversation with Jimmy last year about about gigs and we realised quickly that we'd both been at the same show when they lost the Perth Test match in 2010. So England lose in three days, which means that they get a couple of days off. And on that Sunday, I mean, I was going to be there for days, I think it was two, three, four and five, something like that. It might have been over early on the fourth day, actually. It was a Sunday morning. And that meant on the Sunday evening, Jimmy and a couple of others went to watch Muse play at Claremont Football Ground. And I was there as well. Mm. It was an amazing gig before jumping on a plane and heading back to Canberra. So, and, you know, he, he's a, he, he likes his indie music of a certain era. So in turn, I'm going to assume that, you know, he knows a thing or two mm-hmm. about dancing and, yeah, get him on there. So that's the 328 for Lara Killick is the 32.8 that Mark Ramprakash averaged um, across the competition. And it is very England batting areas that, the guy averaging 32.8 was also the top of the pops <laughs> as far as the contenders went. Well, what was his test average ramps? I mean, I might just quickly look that oh. up. That, it could be, I, mean, I don't know. I reckon uh, it'd be about the same, wouldn't it? Well, it, 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 might be, it might be a fraction lower than that, just given the way he was mm. in, out, in out, never got a chance to be a consistent player for England. Yeah, 27.3 is what he averaged at test level, of course, at first class okay. level. That, that advances to 53 with 114 mm. centuries and 147 other scores above 50. 35,659 runs, if you don't mind, in a career uh, that spanned 1987 till 2012. Right. So uh, the last revisit is from Dara O'Donovan, $8.75. Adam was talking about Gus Fraser taking 8 for 75 Dara says, and, and I like this clue now that I've worked out what the answer is, always a pleasure to be listening along and hear your own nerd pledge come up Angus Fraser, pitch invasions at the 99 World Cup and Buddy's 100th goal at Docklands <laughs> all intersected neatly with my own interests. Uh, but that was not what my pledge referred to. Uh, a little oddly, the hint for another pledge, which was waiting, also applies to mine. So we're either both onto the same obscure stat or that's quite a coincidence. In fact, I think I think they must be. I think these two, now that I think about it, this is Bob Tronson who also had 875. Mm. I think this must be the same answer for both now that I, now that I put these together. Dara says, mine is nothing to do with runouts in any case. My last pledge related to Irish cricket. So does this, but in a different style. And uh, Jeff's literary background might help. Well, a lay down Mazaire with that clue, Dara. Samuel Beckett. Nobel Prize winner for literature in 1969, the author of Waiting for Godot, also played first-class cricket, played uh, two first-class matches for Trinity College in Dublin in the 30s. Uh, He batted at eight and nine in his first game. Uh, He was a left-handed opener in the second. He bowled some left-arm stuff as well. Never took a first-class wicket. Made 36 runs in his four first-class hits, which works out 
with four dismissals to an average of 8.75, which is the answer for Dara O'Donovan and I'm sure the answer for Bob Tronson, whose clue was simply the word waiting. Waiting for Godot, 8.75. We started the show by pondering whether we could get Jerry O'Connell to join us on the cricket field at some stage. Whenever I think of sliders, I, th- I think of Quantum Leap, where the main character is Dr. Sam Beckett, um, played by Scott Bakula, um, theorising that one could time travel through his own lifetime. Dr. Samuel Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. <laughs> he awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mere images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide in his journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in a form of a hologram who only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from Sight to sight, I think, striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Maybe we can get Scott Bakula to play. That's what I'm trying to say. Jerry O'Connell and, and the man that played Sam Beckett could join us on the cricket field at LA yeah. 2028. And if Samuel Beckett could get a first-class um, page on, on Cricket Archive, I'm sure we can get first-class status for this smokers v. non-smokers style <laughs> and get Jerry O'Connell a first-class career. Why not? Why not? Jerry, right, O'Connell, confirmation. <laughs> Jerry O'Connell and Scott Bakula to get Crick Info pages, please. Uh. <laughs> if you were um, trying to calculate Scott Bakula's stats, then that would make you count Bakula. Okay. Hmm. We're just going to have to play yeah. on. Confirmations. Yeah, okay. Confirmations. <laughs> uh, uh, the, two, the 298 from Dom Philp, that was indeed the Dion Nash game at the Gabba when yes. he played the scoop. Dom says, bloody hell, I can't believe you nailed it. First time, amazing areas. Uh, every reason I chose the number was mentioned in the summary. Every detail <laughs> is crystal clear in my mind. And you did the match justice, Adam. I genuinely got goosebumps listening. Nostalgia mania is running wild. Well done. I'm so glad that came together. Purely coincidental that we had those string of New Zealand one-day scores in Australia, neutral games in the Tri-Series. A lot Mm -hmm. of great feedback on Discord and on the Patreon page around our campaign to get the Tri-Series back. So thank you, Dom Philp, for being part of that. Matt Keane, uh, we revisited his 375 or his 375 on Storytime. Well, we we got this right later. So I I reckon Matt's replied to us doing this the first time and then we came back to it the subsequent week, I think, um, and got this last detail, which is that the 375 is the 3 for 75 that Ian Botham took when he obtained the test wicket-taking record when he went to 356 test wickets. So yeah, we right. ended up there eventually, I think. Um, so, so, Matt, if you haven't found that other rep, we, we did pin it down in the end. Uh, 273 was Brian Stratford. Jeff, you said that that was the number of wickets that Trent Johnston took for Ireland across... God knows how many different uh, statistical categories. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian said, well done, uh, you are right. And good to know the explanation as to how the number was reached, even if it might actually be wrong. I didn't know the bus story, Adam, and why he ended up in Ireland. Uh, as a legend of Irish cricket, it'd be great if you can get him on the show in the future. Great work, etc. cetera. Uh, I agree. We should get Trent on. And I don't imagine it'd be particularly hard for us to get him on either because he's still floating around, coaching on the circuit, does a bit of media. So um, let's add him to the list, Jeff. Excellent. Why not? Stuart Duncan says a 178 uh, is correct in that I think I spoke about Graham Hicks 178. Uh, Stuart says he was thinking of it as a batting number and that 
He'd heard growing up that Graham Hick had made a big hundred in India but never seen it until finding it on YouTube, which is helping a lot of us um, reconnect with old cricket. Uh, God bless that medium. Fun to watch too, says Stuart, coming in at 58 for four and getting England to 347. Crick Info tells me that Graham Hick's performance in this match puts him 25th on the list of those with the most runs in a losing men's test match. <laughs> That's very nerd pledge areas, that kind of list, I reckon. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Stuart. 462, Sean Barry. Uh, I talked about John F. Reed, but I didn't know why it was 462. So uh, John Fulton Reed uh, passed away last year, a great of New Zealand cricket through the late 70s and, and early 80s. Now, initially, I didn't know what the 462 was, and Sean said, why didn't you look at his Crick Info page? And I have to say, that's a bloody good question. Why didn't I? His test batting average <laughs> is 46.28. I mean, in fairness, I think I would have seen that and immediately discounted it because I would have rounded up um, to, to 46.3. But still, on the page uh. it reads... So I can see why in my brain I would have I would have ruled it out, but it did go awfully close. Originally, I was thinking about what Sean had said in relation to a read innings he'd witnessed in the Plunkett Shield at the Basin, and I went through yeah. every single innings that he'd played there, and none of them had anything to do with four six two, yeah. and I was I was b- bewildered. But he, in in lieu of the fact that there is no innings from the Plunkett Shield, uh, Sean yeah. thinks that it might have been the three day comp called the Shell Trophy. It probably wasn't a ton; it just became my own memory. But I remember sitting across the terraces below the Van Stand and watching him straight drive Wellington folk hero Ewan Charlie Chat field to the fence repeatedly that's a nice memory uh whether it was a yeah. hundred or not whether it was the plunket shield or not the fact that sean has that moment uh with the late john reed's a lovely thing that's a bit of vance joy for you sean barry and yeah i'm sure adam the 462 was you looking for it in the scorecards of these esoteric uh, yes. first class matches <laughs> and just just not looking at his top line career stats and fair enough because because that's uh, that's where you thought it was yeah well when, when when jeff when you mentioned earlier in the show that we treat this like a job and we spend a lot of time preparing nerd pledge each week mm-hmm. and which is why it'd be nice for those who listen to yep. also be part of what we're doing that's what i'm saying that's what becomes work scrolling through every first class uh, scorecard from from john fulton <laughs> reed's uh, career in new zealand that's what we do well speaking of looking too hard for it rory seymour's 411 which oh, was yeah. about the west wing and cricket where i was very pleased that i landed on the fact that the cricket clip on youtube has 411,000 views or it did at the point uh, that i saw it it was not in fact that number uh, you mentioned on that episode you said maybe it's from season four episode 11 but it wasn't I did but in season four episode 11 there's the other cricket bit in the west wing where they talk about making friends with a cricket enthusiast on bermuda who somehow gets people onto a scam by the cia or something like that um it's 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 what is it danny Concannon and cj i haven't watched the west wing this is no 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 you know you, you, no, you're right but basically what happened was that the the interaction between danny who's a journalist and CJ, who's the press secretary, when he first gets back and he's asleep on her sofa, being Christmas, he's come home for Christmas. It's, it's a lovely scene, but after mm. they exchange pleasantries and they had a fling earlier in the show and they end up getting married in, in season seven, he kind of goes, now, there's his story. Um, I've heard mm-hmm. it from a guy in Bermuda and all the rest of it. And I just mm-hmm. assumed that episode 11 from season four was only related to the Toby storyline with his father, but I forgot that the, the B plot uh, was Danny mm. coming back and thus this is when the whole thing started around the assassination from season three which was nicely covered up by the the White House but because Danny gets the, the little the little inside scoop on this bit of the story the whole thing unravels mm. and it all begins there mm. in in, uh, in season four episode 11 a nice it's, way back to the game 
It's all because a guy mysteriously took his cricket bat to work and only his cricket bat and then left it there in his locker at work. Why would you ever take your cricket bat to work? You're just going to have a net in the hallway, like on your lunch break? Like, come off it, even in Bermuda. And Rory also goes on to say that uh, I think the fact that you guys had a five-minute chat about cricket and the West Wing shows that the final word is the perfect corner of the internet for me. That was confirmed when Adam was referencing lyrics from my favourite band, The National, on last week's episode. Keep up the good work and he's going to pledge again. So thank you, Rory. (laughs) What's the line about uh, I was carried from Ohio on a swarm of bees? I'm like, Jesus Christ, you're some sort of freakish bee king who's just coming to like wreak bee related revenge on your enemies Um, yeah don't piss off the national they will make you sad not just with their music all right that's it that's the show that's story time this week that's how it works if you want to be part of it patreon.com slash the final word send us a number we'll add it to our list uh thank you to brick lane for being the refreshing beer company that helps support this show. Thanks to The Guardian as well for having Adam on a panel. Make sure you have a look at the link for that and see if you want to sign up for it, if that time zone seems like it all fit for you. The final word is part of the Bad Producer Podcast Network. It is edited by Dave Collins, uh, who is creatively nicknamed DC. Thanks, DC. And it's uh, done by me and Adam Collins. No relation That's it for us. We'll be back midweek with uh, the weekly show. And spend some time, if you're here, jump on the Discord channel. It's popping. Jeff, I think we've got more than 100 people on there at the moment, don't Mm -hmm. we? So if you want to continue the conversation through the weekend with Jeff and myself and and everyone else, uh, it's simply a case of uh, getting the link either from uh, the Patreon email, uh, DMing Jeff or me, or or linking it yourself uh, between Patreon and Discord. It's all fairly straightforward. Alrighty. Uh, Weekly show will be out on Wednesday on this coming week. Story time on Saturday. And uh, we shall get back in your ears then. Have a nice weekend. I had to go about